Welcome back to another episode of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Meacham, former UC basketball player from 1997 to 1999 under the legendary coach, my man, Bob Huggins. And I was fortunate enough to wear the iconic Jordan brand unis during my time. Now, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. I'm on Snapchat, at Big Meach 41, and soon to be on TikTok. That's right. Now, this is the special edition of the podcast, my interview series with a very special guest. All right, Bearcat fans, I'm excited to welcome in this former Bearcat legend. And we had him on the podcast before, and I'm going to be straight up honest. This is still, to this day, that is one of my favorite interviews that I've ever done. Um, he played for the Bearcats from 1991 to 1993. He's got so many great stories. Um, he's got a great story himself, and I had to get him on for part two straight out of Monrovia, California, not Monrovia, Africa. <laughs> my guy, number 44, Corey Glock. What's up, CB? Man, what's going on? Hey, man, number 44 is in the building. That's right, man. That, man, that Monrovia, Africa, man. <laughs> that cracks me up, man. That was the funniest thing ever, man. So how you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. I'm wondering, am I, am I the mo- one of the most popular 44 jerseys? In UC history, I wonder if anybody ever posed that question. Uh, I mean, listen, I I, I think that your guys' group, that the, the two groups that you were on, are mm-hmm. still the most popular teams in in history. I mean, if you think about teams, like, of course, they won it in 1961 and 62. They won championships, but name yeah. can, people can name the starting five, like. The majority of people can't name that starting five from those championships, but I think everybody can name your guys' group. So many personalities. Uh, so I would definitely say, for sure, number 44 has got to be the, the most famous one. Yep. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, you know, I want to do part two, and one thing that really meant a lot to me was you called me. Um, during the process of putting out all these podcasts, you called me and said, hey, man, I've been, I've been checking these out, man. These are really good, man. And I, I really appreciated that coming, you know, coming from an OG um, like yourself, man. I, I really do. I really appreciate that. It's always good when your peers, especially the OGs, um, say stuff like that. So thank you very much. Uh, no, no question. No problem. I, I thought you did an excellent job of kind of informing the, the fan base to really the dynamics of a, the individual's personal uh, reasons and the things they did to be able to become a Bearcat, but also did a good job, job of uh, knowing their history and background and asking them some really good questions. So yeah, whenever man. you get an interview, man, you always want somebody to give you some good questions so you can stay interested. Because I've been in some interviews where the person that was dull got a dull answer. <laughs> so, so far, you've been doing your job very well, man. Well, thank you, man. No, I, I really appreciate that. And uh, I think you made a comment to me when we spoke on the phone, and I've I've made this a point from the time that you and I spoke all the way up until um, this particular podcast. But I always ask the guys, 
about the recruiting process? Like, what were some of the other schools you looked at? What made you come to UC? And you said to me, that's like one of the most interesting things for you. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that part of it because you just never know. You never know the person's journey, but then when you have other uh, opportunities to choose from, what made you choose UC? And and we all have our unique reasons why. And I think you do a good job of, of getting guys to express that in the podcast. The other yeah. question I love is, is why they chose the number. You know, that's another interesting <laughs> question to me. Like, what made you choose the number you're wearing? And what, what's the reasons behind that? So, No, nah, for sure. And that's funny you say that because I uh, interviewed Ruben Patterson, and that's going to come out uh, this Friday. And we talked about him wearing number 23. And how did he come to UC and get Melvin Levitt not to wear 23 anymore? Because, you know, Melvin was wearing 23. See, I, was, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, so Rue, Rue kind of talks about that a little bit, and that's, that's pretty interesting. But uh, not well, did I ever tell you how why I wore 44? No, tell me. Oh. Well, during during my junior college days, there was a school called Loyola Marymount. Are you familiar with Loyola Marymount? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And do you remember their number 44? Absolutely. Yeah, Hank Gathers. Hank Gathers, yep. Yeah, yep. and I, I love Hank's game, man. I, I love mm-hmm. the way he ran the floor, the way he dunked the ball. He was one of the best finishers at the time. I said, man, that's who I want to play like, and that's who I want to be like. And unfortunately, you know, he, he passed away during the game, and I always said, well, if I'm able to continue to to go to the next level or continue to play, I'm going to wear 44. So that was my theory for rocking 44 throughout my career. That's interesting, man. And that – um that situation with Hank Gathers, man, was just such a – it was such an eye-opener because, I mean, well, first of all, it's very rare that you see people die, like, on TV in real life. On the court, yeah. On the yeah. court. Like, that yeah. is just so rare to see. See, not only that happened to him, but there's, like, video footage of him conditioning during the off-season, like, running the hills, running the, in the sand, like, he mm-hmm. was in great condition. So man, Hank was a machine, man. A machine, right? So yeah. if you think about it, that was so eye-opening to people. It's like, wait a minute. This isn't like a fat, out-of-shape dude that had a heart attack. Like, mm-hmm. this could happen to anybody. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. No doubt. And so, yeah, that's, that's interesting. I didn't I didn't know that, man. I, I don't think a lot of people know that that Loyola Mary my story enough. Like that was such a great thing. How that just they just kind of all went there and it came out of the blue and they were averaging what 108 points a game. Oh crazy. man, some of the most exciting basketball I ever played at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, they just was about scoring the ball and and if you can't run, you're gonna get ran out the gym. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah. And growing up, like everybody like loved that team. Like yeah. all the kids, because you know, scores. Everybody loves you know, scoring. So, mm-hmm. and, and listen, CB. I usually in these type of formats with the podcast, I, I you know, I put together some some notes. I do a lot of research, and but we we've done kind of our our formal podcast already. This one, man, I really want to just kind of like throw out the script, uh, freestyle, and just just have a lot of fun with it and tell a lot of good good stories, and you know, so you know, I can just kind of. I'll lob up, lob out some softball pitches, man. You just hit some home runs, so okay. um, yeah, want to have have some fun with this. Now, I think one thing that's always been 
um, fascinating to me is like you had you, you had a great career, you know, in college and in the NBA, but you had your issues, you know, with going to prison and all that. But how you bounced back has mm-hmm. been beyond impressive, and the positive outlook that you that you have on life at this point is amazing. And so my my, my question is. Um, how have you been able to keep a positive attitude and and, and turn you know a, a, a negative situation into you're such a spokesperson for you know the university and just just so much? How have you been able to do that? Well, I definitely got to say it's been my support system. Uh, you know, my wife has been an incredible blessing for me as yes, a person. Great person. Great person high-character person, and yep. I think that's been able to help me be able to uh, overcome a lot of the stuff. If it if it was a negative thing, she was always that person to say, that's not you, we're going to get through this, you know, you're going to learn from this, you're going to move forward. So she's always been somebody who I value uh, highly on her opinion about things that I was doing, and, and she's always been in, encouraging me to just continue to be Corey Blunt. Uh-huh. And I think by her believing that, <laughs> it kind of helped me say, you know, see, Blunt is a good dude, and he got dreams and ambitions, and, and he's a likable person that wants to help people. So I'm going to just focus my energies on that instead of the, the negative things that I've had to come come up with or endure. And, you know, I had, I had a saying that pretty much saying, like, my goal is not to be remembered for my worst event that happened in my life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So I just stayed focused on that and was just trying to help and uh, be an ambassador for the university, be an ambassador for people that are doing the right thing. Try to, you know, I definitely tightened my circle of friends. You know, that was one aspect yep. of it. You know, yep. I had to choose wisely on who I was associating myself with. Uh-huh. And then it was just, you know, it was that was the, that was the keys for victory for me, just to stay grounded and, and associate with the right people. And I, I really can say, man, there's a lot of people here in Cincinnati that I highly respect that are very high character people. And I love them for allowing me to not just be a part of their lives, but them giving me the guidance and information necessary for me to be able to move forward. And and I can't, I can't say I did it alone. I got to give credit to the city and the people who I uh, interact with on a daily basis that keeps me motivated and and grounded on, on being a good person. And you said something I think is really key, man. Just um, you know, making a making a smaller circle. And I think at different points of of everyone's life, we figure that out at some point. Like you have a you have a very engaging personality. Like when right. I go to the Bearcat games, you'll have three or four people around you that you don't even know, and you're mm-hmm. talking to them. You know, people you, you invite people in to talk. So. You've got that same personality like I have, like Terry Nelson has. So we, we know a lot of people. But at some point, and I had to learn this, God, maybe four or five years ago from my business mentor, and that is you need you need to make make a smaller circle. Mm-hmm. And that's people figure that out at different stages. But that's a that's I think that's definitely a tough thing, especially for people with personalities like yours to, to figure out. Yeah, uh, it was. A, I, I'm big on sayings now for some reason, but it was a saying that I I, I learned uh, in my quest for knowledge, as far as 
success. And one of the the, the quotes was, uh, all adversity carries the seed of an equivalent benefit as long as you have a positive mental attitude. Uh-huh. So it says a seed, not a tree. So most of the time when you plant a seed, you got to put it in good soil and nurture it for it to become that 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 fulfilling tree that you're trying to grow or whatever you're trying to grow. It has to be nurtured in the right, right soil. So my whole thing is just trying to be grounded in the right soil, man. And I think that's the key right there. Just like I said, that association with the right people and, and and the fact that you done been through some things, hopefully you done learned some shit. <laughs> that, that could be detrimental right there. So I, I I love the fact that I get a lot of calls and I interact with a lot of former players, Bearcats especially, and I'm able to, you know, have that dialogue, especially with the fans, and, and they show me respect for, for what I did here at the university and then for them to still support me based on some of the some of the downfalls I had, just, just that just helps me out a lot, man. I, I appreciate. I love the city of Cincinnati and definitely Bearcats fans. There's no question that I, I love every one of them. So how can I not want to engage with my family? You know what I mean? Right. No, yeah. no doubt. And I think I think everyone loves a comeback story. You know, it's like we all go through things, and I think mm-hmm. at, at times we all get knocked down. Some get knocked down a little bit further, but to be able to come back from it. I think the one thing <laughs> well, is... Everybody don't want you coming back from prison, shit. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the one thing that you did, I think that was so powerful, and I remember I was around you when you said something one time, you, you said, look, I made a mistake. Mm. You know, and like, there's people that refuse to say that. Yeah. yeah. Once, once you... What do they say? What did Jay-Z say? You can't heal what you don't reveal. Mm-hmm. And, you know what I'm saying? So you're like, look, here's what I did. Here's my mistake. Yeah. I'm going to move forward from that. And that's that's a that's a big step. I think people, people appreciate that. And then I think what makes you so special amongst the Bearcat family, and I've told people this, is you have a blueprint for so many players coming into the program whether it's the blueprint to get to the league, um, what happens when you're in the league, mm-hmm. and making a mistake and recovering from that. You have, like, four <laughs> You know what I mean? I mean, so No bad. doubt. No right? doubt. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, but, but listen, hey, one thing I've, I've always wanted to, to ask you, and I don't know if anyone has asked you this question. I'm sure they have, but I don't know in an, in an interview – format but your time in prison I mean what was that like for you man I you know I I didn't really know how to even comprehend what I was getting ready to go through you know what I mean I grew up in Monrovia man it's you know it's gangs it's it's drugs all that was involved in my city and the funny thing is growing up in that city I would see people go to prison, right? Uh-huh. But then when they would come home, they'd be cut up, they'd hair, you know, they hit guys had waves. And so for some <laughs> some strange reason I, I, I had the uh the ability to kinda kinda see it as a thing that could actually help people. 'Cause every like crackhead I seen go to prison. When they come home they done got their weight back, 
their skin uh-huh. can't. So I'm like, wow, man, so it can't be all that bad. Uh-huh. But then you know the real deal about, you know, the whole whole structure of the, the prison system. And then me being a criminal justice major, I was aware of a lot of the things that that was going on or went on when you went to prison. So my mindset instantly, like, I went I went back to who I was. Like, I, I went back to, like, man, if anybody tests me, questioned me, do anything, it's on. Uh-huh. You know, I, I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna wait to react. I was just gonna, yeah, you come, you approach me the wrong way, it's on. I'm I'm gonna tell your ass up, point blank. That's what my mentality. <laughs> And that's how I walked in there, man. I swear I was—I didn't say nothing to nobody because the thing I realized is that everybody knew me and knew what I was in for, right? Uh-huh. But I knew I didn't have a clue what none of these other people was in there for. Uh-huh. So I wanted to really distance myself at first. And man, I never forget it, man. When I was going through the through the system, pretty much, man, one of these old guys, man, I don't remember his name, but he was so excited to see me. Like, oh, my God, like, man, I've always loved you. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, okay, cool, thanks. You know what I'm saying? Like, whatever, man. He's like, no, seriously, man, you don't realize that when you came to the University of Cincinnati, you were the one who made most of the people that I was in, around at that time gave me something and us to cheer for because we were bearcats. Mm-hmm. And the things you guys did – you know, put you on a put put us on a on a, on a pedestal far as us having bragging rights and different things like that. So I'm just here to tell you, man, you appreciate it. I'm like, I said, okay, thanks. And he said, man, you know, I've been watching you, man. There's no need for you to walk around with that attitude because everybody in here respect who you are, who you are. Mm. And I was like, damn, you know what I'm saying? Like, okay. So you know, I ended up uh, kind of befriending him and talking to him more and more. And, it's just day by day, you know, once a guy found out that I was talking to him, another guy would come up, and then another guy would come up. And then the guards was kind of like trying to – they was trying to see how they can get information out of me, right? Like, <laughs> you know, because I'm sick, man, Meech, when I went in there, I wasn't speaking to nobody. Like, I had my – you know, I kind of – I had my guards up because my yeah. mentality was like, man, I'm about to – soon as somebody disrespect me, it's on. Uh, did, you, did you think – real quick, did you think going in there – that people would know who you are, or do you think, oh, they're not going to know who I am? Oh man, hey man, as soon as I as soon as I went to the county, I, when I went to the county, Butler County, right? Uh-huh. I walked in, and it was <laughs> this is a true story. I walked in, and there was a dude on the bottom bunk. You know, they put me in the cell, and I, it was a dude at the bottom bunk. He immediately got up off the bottom bunk and moved all his stuff to the top. And I didn't say nothing, you know, I'm like, well, did he do that? Because he, you know, he wanted to go up there and he knew, and he wanted me at the bottom or, you know, I didn't know what his angle was. Mm -hmm. So I set my stuff down and I got on the bottom bunk and he was like, man, you've been on TV all day. (laughs) I said, said, for real, he's like, man, I've been watching your story all day today, man. And he said, I said, so I was like, yeah, I said, I know, man, I've I've heard, I'm sure it's been on there all day. And he was like, well, man, I just got up because I knew you was too big to be climbing up at the top of this bunk. (laughs) (laughs) Legs hanging on. So, yeah, so it was just like things like that just let me know. Like, man, I know know who I am, man. I'm 6'10", 250. Mm -hmm. You know, if somebody really wants problems, 
with that, they got to be, you know, not saying it can't happen, but it's going to be a challenge, man. You know, I'm not yeah. no five to 130-pound dude, so right. Right. I couldn't have that, that mindset like, man, I, the little anybody in here, I should be able to handle one-on-one or anything if it ever went to that level. Right. But honestly, man, it was, I think, based on my personality, man, I, I didn't get nothing but love all the way through. Man. I had one altercation at, at at the gym one time, and that was it. Mm-hmm. And when it happened, I swear, like, eight guys came to like, man, nah, he ain't the one. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So. Man. So were you, were you, like, going into it, I mean, were you, like, really, really nervous? Oh, my God, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I, I was, you know. i never been in prison before. Right. And then, then the aspect of me um, kind of tarnishing everything I worked for, and then I was conscious about my kids and my family and, you know, the university, like, what yeah. I had done. Like, man, not just that I hurt myself, but because of a bad decision or a or, or lack of judgment, I ended up, you know, Costing everything that I worked so hard to to do and gain, and and so the nervousness was more so, what am I gonna do, man? Like, what is what is how am I gonna get through this? Now, now how long were you in there? Uh, a year and two days. How long did how long did that feel? The first four months was the toughest, really, because. I qualified for every early release program that was imaginable, mm-hmm. you know, and I knew that I I, w- I qualified based on college educated, you know, mm-hmm. never had been in any trouble before. So I'm thinking I was going to do like three months and they were going to let me out on probation. But every time I would, uh, went for the early release program, you know, I had to get approved by my judge and, it was told to me through one of the counselors in there, like, man, they, they're pretty much going to make an example out of you, and you're going to – you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. And so you're going to have to do day-to-day, and most likely you'll probably do day-for-day. And I'm like, nah, man, that ain't happening to me. You know, I had a stack of reference letters from so many people supporting me and all this stuff. So my mindset at that time was like, I'm going to get out early. Mm-hmm. And then once that didn't happen, it was just like, okay, well, since they took me away from my family and my loved ones, I'm going to just make them pay for my education. Uh So I just started digging deep in in the books and and trying to, you know, seek knowledge and and get as much information as I can to keep me occupied on on positive things instead of the negative activities that was going on around there. So that's what kind of got me through it, man. I ended up... uh, you know, definitely dove into the Bible, of course, mm-hmm. and I was I was looking for a verse. I, you know, I picked up the Bible like, man, I want to read this, and I want to find something that I'm going to be able to carry with me throughout this journey. And the first thing that I came upon was Hosea 4.6, man. And Hosea mm-hmm. 4.6 is, my people are persecuted for lack of knowledge. Not only do I, if you reject knowledge, not only do I reject you, but I reject your kids. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, that was mm-hmm. deep as shit to me, man. I'm like, <laughs> so basically it's saying, like, if I reject knowledge, if I don't be somebody who's knowledgeable or high character, not only am I going to suffer, but my kids are going to suffer. Mm-hmm. And so when I took that perspective, I just said, man, you know what? I'm getting ready to start digging into things that's going to kind of enlighten me throughout this journey. Start associating, you know, like I said, start associating with the 
the right people, joining different groups that was on some positive things. I started a couple programs in there, like literally, and this is honestly got true. When I left prison, man, like three grown men was crying. Damn. Like, like, man, just because I, I made, you know, I made that much of an impact in there while I was in there, man. Yeah. And I, I walked out like, you know, I was happy to see my wife and my kids, but on that walk to, you know, to leave, you know, God was like, man, you know, I wish you the best, man. You know, it was good knowing you and blah, blah, blah. You know, of course, they keep in touch. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm out of here. Because <laughs> most, most most people don't have that experience in in prison, you know nah, they don't they don't have one where when you're walking to leave they're like man I'm out of here like yeah, you smell yeah. you later. Yeah, um, man, and, that's and, real and, and odd and odd way do you think that being in prison really helped you out? It helped me out tremendously. Mm-hmm. It did. It, it helped me put things in perspective because before that I was I was going crazy, man. I had multiple businesses. I was, you know, part had a I had a, a sports bar that I was drinking and hanging out and just just all over the place. wasn't focused. Had no focus. Yep. And that experience right there helped me focus my energy on, especially my wife and my family. But it also helped me associate with the right people, like I told you earlier. Right. Yep. And you know, and one thing is. A lot of times I look at people and I look at how they've raised their kids. Um, and I'm going to tell you, Matt, I've just been around um, your two boys, uh, specifically uh, CJ, Corey Jr., he, he is like the the most well-behaved kid. He played in my program, you know that. Mm, yeah. Never, never had an issue with that kid. Um, just always respectful. Um, your older son, I know he left and went back to to, to Cali um, after, but I, you know, I got to know him when he was in high school and just super respectful. Yes, sir. No, sir, man. And, and you did a great job, you know, raising your children and coming, I, I think, and I'm going to leave to this question here is getting out. Um, how then do you raise your kids and they turn out so well based on what has happened? Because those kids can be like, Hey man, fuck you. You've been through this stuff. You can't tell me nothing. Man, well, right. If they if if they were to tell a six <laughs> ten real gangster <laughs> any yeah. anything close to that, <laughs> they some tough kids. But no, nah, I mean it was a respect thing, man. You know, I talked to my kids, and, and my wife did did an amazing job. I mean, an amazing job of raising our kids, man. And, yeah. I think they fear her more than they fear me, to be honest. But, yeah. you know, I, I give most of the credit to her because uh, she instilled value in, them, value in them on discipline and respect just as just as well as I did. So when you got both parents kind of commanding that, that kind of respect and then knowing there's going to be consequences behind it, you know, and there's love in there too, mm-hmm. you know, I think we, we just had a good formula. You know, I, I, I like to tell this story because, the proudest thing that, that, that happens to me is when uh, I go to Independence Elementary where all my kids end up going to school through, and then my youngest one was was the last one to go through there. And the, the principal, uh, uh, Mr. Fick, Dr. Finke, told me, he walked up to me and said, man, 
I am so sad that I will not have another blunt coming through my school system again. Uh, uh. And I was like, wow, you know what I mean? And uh-huh. I live in a predominantly white neighborhood, <laughs> you know uh-huh. what I mean? So yeah, yeah. for that to even happen, man, it's just it's just a character uh, that I think my wife and I have, have kind of really kind of just represent, man. And, and, and we talk to our kids and we love on our kids and, and let them know that they can be respectable people, but you also got to respect others. And, and I give a lot of that credit to her. Yeah, no, no doubt. You, so you just said something, which leads me to another question. Um, you talked about that principal um, that you spoke with. So when you got out and you walked around town, in the back of your mind, one, were you were you embarrassed when you went places? And number two, did you feel like every time someone looked at you, they're like, oh, this dude just got out of prison, knowing they know your story, instead of, hey, he played for the Bearcats and he played, you know, for the Bulls, Lakers, so forth and so on. He was in prison. Did you feel that? Well, you know, I was so swole when I came out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have no choice. No, I was just kidding, man. No, I didn't. And you know why? Because I knew that my crime was a victimless crime. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The only person that suffered from what I did was my family. Yeah. I didn't hurt anybody. I didn't force anybody to do anything. And I was, you know, I was guilty by association. So I didn't I didn't really pay any attention to that. I, I really knew I couldn't control somebody else's uh, thoughts about who I was or when they saw me. But I did know the fact that I knew that I didn't do nothing to hurt anybody. And that was the main thing. You know, that's why I felt comfortable going back to the University of Cincinnati when I did, but I didn't know, you know, me and Mick hadn't seen each other, and I didn't know how he was going to react. But the first thing I did, I greeted him with love, uh-huh. you know what I mean? So if he could easily said, you know, Corey, um, hi, and I hope all is well, but I don't want you around my kids, I wouldn't have been able to do nothing but respect that. Right. But in a sense, it was like, man, it didn't happen like that because of who I was. Right. You no, know, he greeted me and was like, man, if there's anything I can do to help you, man, I'm glad you made it through that situation. You, you're welcome around here anytime. And that just, you know, that made me feel good coming from him. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happened when I went to my kids' school, when I went to the grocery store. You know, I was I was doing positive things in this community before this happened. Right. So yep. it was just like, man, people were, were excited that I kind of, <laughs> that I pretty much just made it through. <laughs> right, right. Their, right. their interpretations of prison it ain't, wasn't like mine, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, they were yeah. just like, oh, well, we're glad you're home. You know, we were always checking on your family. The kids were, you know, great. My kids didn't have no, you know, I was more worried about them being teased or, you know, you know how kids are, man. Uh-huh. Oh, you know, yeah. none of them really experienced anything like that. They had questions, of course, but, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't nothing too negative. And then the fact that while I was in there, I'm sitting in there for, for marijuana possession, and then I'm looking at the news and, they damn near having a riot and celebrating because it's legalized in uh, Denver, Colorado. So I'm oh, like, I know. what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> so when y'all say it's cool, it's cool. But right, right. Yeah, but you know, that, I'm is, not. that is crazy with that though. Like, yeah. Mm. Corey, do you ever you ever like sit back, like you're sitting at your home, like on a nice day, um, you know, sitting in a lawn chair, sit back. Do you ever just go? Man, I've had an amazing life. 
because you, you really have. Basketball has taken you some amazing places, man, that I, I would say 99% of the world has will never experience. you ever just sit back and say, I've had an amazing life so far? Man, I, I couldn't go to sleep last night after watching that documentary based on what you just said. I swear, <laughs> that's what came to my mind, like, oh, my God. Yep. I had an amazing life. Mm-hmm. Especially coming from where I came from, the way I went about it, the the the, the way it happened, like, you know, those different things always play in my mind because I was one decision away from altering this course. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just as yeah. simple, like, I ain't going to Cincinnati. I'm going to Vegas. Or, man, I don't feel like getting in this traffic and going to Santa Ana College, you know. I don't want to try out for the team after you can cuss me out, man. I'm done. You know, all those <laughs> different questions came into play when I watched that documentary. And just to say, like, I wasn't a part of that particular success era that they had, but I was a part of, like, I am a staple in the Bulls organization. Yeah. Coming from the University of Cincinnati, it's just like, man, this is this is something to really reflect back on. Like, I got calls after, people called me after the damn you know, documentary, <laughs> want to ask me questions last night. So I can go to bed at like 2.30 to talk to my friends and, uh, you know, colleagues about the, some of my experiences and stuff like that. So, yeah, I do, man. I really do. Yeah, yeah. And, you, and you should. We're, we're going to talk about the, the last part of this podcast. I definitely want to talk about the last dance. But I do want to talk a little bit about um, the Bearcat uh, days. We talked about that a lot on the last podcast. But uh, there were a couple questions that I didn't ask you that have come to mind. One is, as you reflect back, how do you view your career with the Bearcats? Oh, my God. Man, it's, it's phenomenal. I, can, I can't say nothing but phenomenal. Uh-huh. And, and the reason I say that is because I went from junior college, right? Uh-huh. And we were uh, we went 32-3 and three my first year. Then the second year, we went 35-2. and two. Mm-hmm. Then I come to Cincinnati, my first year here, man, we went to the Final Four. Yep. I think we went 27 and and 5, or I don't know the exact numbers. but So we go to the Final Four. Then I go to the Elite Eight my senior year. Mm-hmm. One game away from going back to the Final Four. Yep. Was a major part of putting the University of Cincinnati basketball program in the spotlight. And then to get drafted in the first round by the Bulls and be able to represent the Bearcats in the NBA for 11 years. Yep. And then had the opportunity to come back and coach at the university. <laughs> Full circle. And I'm like, man, you know, who, who who gets that opportunity? You get the chance to not just play for your, your the school that, that you love, but then you have an opportunity to come back and coach at the school that you love. Uh-huh. Yep. And that whole that whole scenario was not planned. It was not expected. It was like I got a call from the big guy like, man, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, okay. And, you know, that, that whole story, I look back at that like, man, because I was, I was pretty much like everybody else. I was so pissed and done with the university after they fired us uh-huh. that, I, you know, I had a $2.4 million deal. I was working in the a real estate deal I was working with in California at the time. Uh-huh. And I was the, the furthest thing from my mind was the university. Uh-huh. And Hugs called me like, you know, man, I need to talk to him. I'm like, what's up, coach? 
I need a favor. I'm like, uh, you know, I ain't, I'm like, okay. Uh-huh. Well, you know, you know, I'm dealing with this, and then uh, my guy is there. Andy Kennedy is my guy, and then I left. You know, Frank is still there, and I still have my key guys that I love, man. Those kids are phenomenal, and and I know that I've thought about it. I know that you would be the perfect person to uh, show them or give them the information needed for them to still want to succeed at the University of Cincinnati. And I'm like, okay. He said, yeah. I said, so, you know, where are you going? He's like, I want you to go coach. Huh. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> man, do you know what they just did to you? I know, I know, I know. I don't, don't, it's not about me. It's about the program. It's about the kids, man. And Andy Kennedy and Coach Frank are great guys. I already told them about you. So the first thing I said, well, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that because right now I'm in the middle of, you know, this deal I'm working on. And then he said, well, is this something that you ever had the desire to do? And I was like, well, if I had a chance to coach at the University of Cincinnati, you know, I'd drop anything to have that opportunity. And he was like, well, I think I think I can I think I can make it happen. Andy, Andy, I'm gonna have Andy call you. So Andy called me, and we talked, and he was more than than willing to allow me to come back. Uh-huh. And I think uh, Mike Thomas was the AD at that time. Uh-huh. And, you know, I had to go have a sit, you know, I had kind of like an interview with Mike. And at the time, I didn't have my degree. So, you know, I'm thinking, well, how are they going to let this happen? And I don't have my degree. Well, Mike was so impressed with me. You know, after the interview, he's like, man, look, we're going to make this happen. And I'm like, okay. And lo and behold, I got that opportunity, man. I got with AK and Frank and. You know, that group of guys, man, uh, they respected me. You know, Eric Hicks and and James White and Armin Kirkland, you know, that group was – they were a little little shell-shocked at first based off uh, what had happened when Hugs left. Oh, yeah. You know, but, you know, I, the first thing I did was I brought all my former guys in, Herb Jones, Terry Nelson, Anthony Buford, you know, guys who I knew had respect but also had a real passion for the for the program. And I had them talk to them guys and let them know that, like, man, you're part of a legacy and and, and a respect factor that's, that's beyond just basketball, man. We want all you guys to succeed. And I think that's what let them really open up and, and trust me to, to be a part of that program as a coach, as a coach and, and it was an awesome experience, man. I love Eric Hicks to death, man. That was like he was the leader of the team, man. Oh yeah, real alpha male. But that was my guy, man. I mean, I I had so much fun coaching that guy because he was a warrior. And that was to me that was the pinnacle of my my career, man. Being able to coach uh, coach at the university. Did you ever think that you know, based off that experience, that you would be a head coach one day? I mean, you look at Kane Hardaway. Uh, Ewing, on and on. Did you ever think that, you know, situation could have happened? Man, I did at one point. You know, I, you know, of course, Mick came and he had his own staff and everything. So, uh, and then the way that the situation happened with AK, you know, I, I, I was like, man, I'm, I'm pretty much cool at this point. AK had kind of hinted that he wanted me to come with him to, 
to Mississippi, but I'm like, oh, no, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> you know, that's like Majerus trying to get me to Utah when I was yeah. getting recruited. Like, see, Blunt in them two places ain't getting ready to happen at this stage <laughs> in my career. Right. So, right. so with, with that, man, it, it was uh, – what was – dang, I forgot what you was asking. What was that? If, if you would um, – if you could have seen yourself being a head coach one day. Oh, like a yeah, yeah. You know, well, yeah, I, I ended up uh, being an assistant. And the thing that I learned as an assistant, you pretty pretty much have to follow the, the guidelines and the structure of what the, the head coach wants you to do. Mm-hmm. And I was really loving that a little bit, you know yeah. what I mean, because I had my own ideas of how to approach players and how to build relationships. And, and my way was different from probably a lot of the coaches that I was – under so that kind of made me let me know I didn't want to be a assistant coach and then when it came to a head coach I knew the time that it would take to accomplish that so I didn't really want to start that journey mm-hmm. and then to be an assistant coach it's a lot of work involved like working guys out and and all that stuff and I'm like man my body is too beat up to be trying to rebound and chase ball <laughs> right so I was done with that I was pretty much done with that that was it yeah. Don't ask this. How differently do you think, not only your life, but even the UC program, how different it would have been if your two years, just one of them, you guys won a national championship? And, and here's what I mean by that. You know, you look at the Final Four group um, and the Elite Eight group, and you guys, in my opinion, are just looked at, I mean, that entire team, the personalities, like, you guys are probably, I think, the most popular team ever, and you guys were in the Final Four. Like, imagine if you would have won a championship. Imagine even a back-to-back championship. Holy shit, if that happened. Um, <laughs> how, how different do you think your life would have been, and how different was the UC basketball program? Up there? I think we would have been, and I want to say this right, if that would have happened, the respect factor would have been definitely solidified because our whole our whole premises for playing was we wanted to earn respect. We felt we weren't being respected. You talking about on a national level? Yeah, on a national level, yeah. yeah. You know, when they were talking about, you know, the top team, Cincinnati wasn't nowhere in the picture. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we were all junior college players also had a stigma on it. Mm-hmm. So yep. we wanted to try to be the Midwest version of UNLV. Mm-hmm. You know, like, man, once we put this down, everybody's going to respect the University of Cincinnati. So that's the agenda that we had as a as a unit at that time. And I think the fact that we were all focused on that kind of helped us, you know, appreciate each other's work, wanted to really, like, really loved each other because we all hung out together. There wasn't no separation or one group doing this. We were all together, man. Like, that was by far the most complete team that I ever played on as far as guys really liking each other on the court and off the court. That mm-hmm. rarely happens. Mm-hmm. And because of that, we brought that attitude on the floor. And if we would have been able to pull those one of those things off that you even mentioned, I think it would have solidified us because now we would have been able to recruit those McDonald's, those high-level McDonald's All-Americans. Now, we were able to do that off the if we had, but I think it would have been even more, you know, yeah. Hugs would have had access and respect on a whole nother level where 
he would have been able to get some of those really top tier uh-huh. number one players in the country type of players and brought and bring them to the university. Um I know for a fact that yeah, if Kenyon situation wouldn't have happened, um, we would have had some success. But also that year when they fired Hugs, he had a, a hell of a team coming to the university. Man, man. O. J. Mayo Beasley. Beasley and, and well Edwards or what was the the high jumping guy that played with uh Yeah, played with OJ, uh Bill Walker. Bill Walker. I mean, come on, man. A rap. You mix those three guys with the guys that are currently there? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It would have been unreal, man. No question. Unreal. And, and that's the type of things I think, you know, that success brings, you know, it brings respect. Mm-hmm. And with that, we would have been able to really play a high-level style of basketball with a high-level college coach, man. Definitely, if we would have been able to achieve that. You know, I, I, I've always thought this, and hopefully I've had conversations with Coach Brandon about this, and he's, I love Coach Brandon. He's fully aboard this. But I've always felt like when a when a new recruit comes in, they've committed to UC, like day one when they get there, I think they need to be educated on the history of UC basketball. Like right. in a proper way of not just – Okay, we won in 61, 62, Final Four, Elite Eight, blah, blah, blah. Let's look at players. Like, talk about different players. Here's, you know, Corey Blunt, A.D. Jackson. Let's take it back to here's Tom Thacker, Tony Yates, Lloyd Back. Like, all these guys in the past that I think current players need to, to know and understand so they understand that history. Like you talked about earlier, understanding – you know, the name on the jersey and, and who you're playing for, but also those people that came before you. Right. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and I was talking with Trace, and the reason I say that is because I was talking to Trace back, and, and he was telling me in the interview, like, man, I wanted to leave here, like, as one of those names that people talk about from the past. He's like, man, they always talk about this guy, that guy. I want to leave here with that type of name. But I love that. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing that. And I think more guys should have that mentality, but I think they have an understanding of the past. They have that mentality a little bit more. You agree with that? I definitely agree with it, and, I, I, and not a knock on on Mick because I, I do truly love him and like him as a person. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he did a great job of embracing the alumni as far as making everybody feel good about being a part of this program. Mm-hmm. Does, does that make sense? Like, it's not. I, I, yes, for sure. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, it, it wasn't a welcoming environment, and and I've talked, I've talked to Mick about that. You know, I, mm-hmm. I really, and and he pretty much told me his answer, and I respect his answer. You know, he pretty much said, "Man, my job is to win games." <laughs> I heard that over and over. From him. You know what I mean, and and I get that, but it was like, okay, if that's your job, let's put somebody in 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 place to to handle that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because some of the stigma that I heard was like, man, these guys feel entitled or these guys think they deserve this. And I'm like, man, they do. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, for sure. They for really sure. do. Like, man, guys should should no doubt feel that they should come back to Cincinnati if they have risked, risked their bodies, risked their, their time, and – 
the ability to come here and try to do what they can to elevate this university. They should feel good about coming back and being a part of this family. No question. And, you know, and Corey, I agree with you 100%. And it's so funny you say that. I had a conversation with somebody in the athletic department. They actually asked me some questions um, like, hey, what can we do differently in regards to, um, you know, alumni-based basketball specific? And I said, listen, I understand the stigma, like what you were talking about, like, you know, you feel like some of these guys are entitled and there's, there's you know, a little bit of friction between former players and, you know, the athletic department. But I said, you've got to remember this. Like, the football program is jumping right now. Tailgating mm-hmm. is off the hook. You're making tons of money off tailgating. Zippers packed. There's excitement. But I said, remember this. That doesn't happen without the success of basketball. Plain and simple. Mm-hmm. Because when I played, much like when you played, I could run up and down the Nippert steps during a game <laughs> and not hit 10 people. Man, you're 100% right, man. But the success of the basketball program is <laughs> to the success of football. Not to say one is better than the other, they work hand in hand. So in turn, I think the appreciation, there has to be a two-way street, and it, it just is getting better. And I think yeah. Coach Brand's going to do a great job with that. But I, I agree. You agree with my point with, with football? Oh, no doubt. I, you know, during my time, you know, I used to hear alumni say, like, yeah, the only reason I can get my good seats with basketball because I had to buy them damn football seats <laughs> along with it. So they would sacrifice spending ridiculous amount of money for some seats that they never were going to sit in just to get these seats in the basketball arena. So yep. I totally I agree. And then, and then I also applaud. Coach Brennan for what he did when he came. Like, I wasn't able to make the event, but for him to gather, you know, all the former players or invite them to his house and, and feed everybody and interact with everybody, the response I heard from that was, was amazing. It was. You know, so that right there kind of let me know that he, you know, he understand how important the former players are, but also respect the, the fact that a lot of the former players have went on to represent this university in, in, in a good in a good way. So mm-hmm. you know, I've always told him like, Coach, I don't know what I can do to help you, but you know, just let me know yep. if I can. And I think a lot of other guys have also extended that to him. So and and it's not to put pressure on him and expect him to do everything, man. It's a lot of former players living in this city. Mm-hmm. And 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 somehow we should kind of come together ourselves you know what i mean like i was really trying to put together an organization to represent that uh and you know mike bone uh, i know i can't cuss on here but he kind of twisted my brain up into (laughs) changing the whole dynamic of my thoughts (laughs) i'll just leave it like that and then uh Uh it just didn't go the way the way i wanted to go but you know I, I think it's still a possibility man it's a lot of former players still here and a lot of good guys that would, would love to I don't, you know just get together at a barbecue or a park with the fam anything just to yeah. show the strength you know what i mean uh I, I totally agree with you i think you know guys like yourself and, and, and t-rat and, and terry are kind of you know you guys are the the triple ogs i think of of i think that generation and, and now and would be great leaders of that. And I think I think there could be some piggyback off of that yearly, what I understand will be a yearly 
get-together at Coach Brandon's house, and I know you weren't there, but I'm telling you, like, i got to tell you the story. So I get the invitation to Coach Brandon's house um, mm-hmm. for the event, and I'm thinking, okay, it's going to be, you know, the usual suspects, a group of uh, of us kind of in his living room, chopping it up, and then, you know, I'll be out. So he lives in Kentucky. Um, I, I'm, I'm getting ready to park, and I'm like, damn, I got to park far away, so there wasn't any parking spot. <laughs> so I park, and I'm getting out of the car, and AD's rolling up, AD Jackson. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, hey, you know where you're going? He's like, I think it's all the way down there. So we walk together, and as we're walking, and we're getting closer to Coach Brandon's house, he, and he looks at me, and he goes, man, it sounds like there's a lot of people there. And I'm like, I know. And AD's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, what are we going to? Like, what is this? And I'm like, I think it's just a get-together. So AD's like apprehensive. He's like, wait, I don't know what's going on. So we walk up. And first of all, Coach Brandon's house looks like the house in uh, Fresh Prince. Uh, right. Like when they're throwing Jazzy Jeff out. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm like, well, AD's like, man, can I stay in the pool house? So... <laughs> We walk in, and uh, Rodney Crawford, Rock, Big Rock, he's, like, you know, taking all the, the names and giving the stickers, and we, like, look, and there's these big tents, and there's, like, hundreds of people there. They did an excellent job, I think, getting a, a diverse group of players from back into 19-whatever to, you know. Different eras, yeah. Different eras. I people. I'm like, I've never even heard of you. Man, so, it's so nice to meet you. Like, I, I, you know, one guy said he averaged like two points a game and, you know, like 54 or whatever it was. But he's still important right. in the landscape, right? So he's like, I've never – he's got another guy who said, I've never been to an alumni basketball function before. I'm mm. like, damn. Got him here? So yeah. mm. I think we can piggyback off that. No doubt. No doubt. No doubt. So hey, let's let's jump into uh, your your NBA career a little bit. I do want to talk about some of that stuff. Like I said, I I really I have no script. I don't have anything out. I'm kind of going off the top of my head, so I don't care if we we bounce all over the place. But um, I do remember, like you said earlier, you played 11, 11 uh, seasons, and you always you always do this shit to me. You always ask me to name all the teams, and I always forget like <laughs> one or two. Right. And, I'm I'm gonna get it down one day. Man, it's it's a it's a brain twister, so I I get it. Sometimes <laughs> I can get one too. <laughs> it's seven teams, correct? Yep. It's seven. Yep. All right, I'm gonna take a shot. You ready? Okay. And and I remember one because you corrected me last time I saw your story. Are you are play? you going Are you going in the years that I played for the organization, or are you just whirling them off? Oh, I'm I'm naming them off because there's no way in hell I'll be able to remember the. the well, not order. not the year. I mean the order. Like, like I started oh. with. Yeah. No, I ain't that smart, Corey. Okay. I, I don't have any Man. Google search in front of me. Maybe Didn't one you day. get a degree? No, I just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. I know obviously Bulls and Lakers. I'm gonna knock that out. Um, yeah. The Suns. I remember that one. You yeah. and I remember this one because you corrected me at the uh, the one of the games this year. The Cavs. Yeah. Yeah. Not about the cast, so that's one, two, three, four. four. I remember the Raptors. Um, yep. uh, then um, I'm, 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 oh, 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 uh, uh, Philly. 
you were filming. Yep. Yep. All right. That's that's six, right? That's six. Yep. Yep. One block from the crib. One block from the crib. Oh, uh, Golden State. Golden State, yeah. Yep. Golden State. I finally got it. That's a tough one. Golden State? Yeah. I, yeah, because we were shitty when I was there. <laughs> that's probably why. Like, Man, now, we were. Of all the teams, like, which one is like, I asked Ruben Patterson this question because he played for quite a few teams, but what team is like your team, like the one you considered like I played for this organization? It, it would definitely be the Bulls and the Lakers. Okay. Definitely the Bulls and the Lakers. I mean, the Bulls for what, you know, there's no need. I don't even need to go in to that reason. I mean, they drafted me, but, and I was a, I was a diehard Lakers fan. So when I was able to play for those two organizations, it really made me realize that I had reached the pinnacle of what, what I had been started dribbling this basketball for. Like, man, I don't think it gets more. I don't think there's more of a, an exclusive club than those two organizations, except the Celtic, maybe. Uh-huh. And I hated the Celtics, so yep. that that <laughs> that answers yep. that. Shit. Well, I mean, you couldn't be a Bulls and Lakers fan and, and like, and the, like Celtics. the Celtics. Nah, nah. it ain't possible. <laughs> nah. No work like that. Um, so you were were you with the Lakers the longest? Is that correct? I was I was with the Lakers for four years and the Bulls for four years. Okay. Oh, but, but you were with the Bulls twice. You were there yeah. early and then later, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I remember that. Um, let's talk a little bit. Uh, let's talk about the Lakers. And and I know you want to clear one thing up. Um, and you want to clear up the whole uh, the Tupac because like it, it it's one of the most famous like Bearcat pictures on Twitter, Instagram, and that's the picture of Tupac wearing the, the Bearcat um, uh, jersey. Um, jersey. Yeah. Um, everybody talks about that. Can you can you clarify that? Well, no, I'm clarifying on, the, on the, the mistake that I made in saying that I gave Tupac that jersey. Mm-hmm. I, when I said I gave it to him, I didn't, I didn't mean I literally handed it to him, but I felt after meeting him and being able to kind of hang out with him a little bit, I knew for a fact that me and Nick was involved with the reason why he wore the, why pretty much everybody in L.A. wore Cincinnati gear. That's crazy, man. Because yeah. we talked about Dr. Dre wearing a Bearcat hat on MTV. Yeah, but it was, I mean, it was it was prevalent. Like, man, when I when I left here and went back home, man, we were, we were so, we had so many fans, man. Like, I never had saw that. Before I Came to Cincinnati. I hadn't seen that Seapaw outside of Cincinnati myself. <laughs> but after we went to the Final Four, man, everybody was rocking that Seapaw. And I can honestly, when I say everybody, at least majority of people that I knew, but then a lot of celebrities and individuals. And then what Hugs did after that, you know, we had kind of set the tone that you see is definitely one of the upper echelons of college basketball. So. Everybody was rocking Cincinnati gear, and then of course, the the reason that you uh, are so proud of this damn university because we had the Jumpman. Uh, <laughs> so, 
you know, it just elevated it, man. And, and I think that's why I, me and Nick always say, man, you know, you, you know the term, the song from uh, NWA, I started this gangster shit. So we yeah. always proclaim that, like, man, we started this shit right here, man. Yep. You did. There's no, no question about that. Now, and, and I do want to, I want to clarify this. My reason, I don't know if you know this, for wanting to play for the Bearcats is basically two particular players. Growing up, my first basketball idol was Roger McClendon. Um, that was the guy that I mimicked in the backyard. And then I knew when I watched Nick Van Exel play that I was going to play for UC one day. I just, there was no question. Like, Nick, because it was like, I, you know, of course I love Michael Jordan. I loved a lot of players. Uh, but Nick, like, was like my size. Like, look at my size. I, yeah. I, I felt like I could do those things one day. Obviously, I couldn't, but I felt like I could do those things. Right, right. Well, that's the thing that amazes me because we, I mean, people in, in Cincinnati's basketball world know the value that Roger McClendon gave to the university. You know what I mean? Yep. But it's not like he's celebrated or represented enough for what he what he did. Like, I, you rarely hear that name come up when you talk about some of the best players at Cincinnati. Now, I don't know if it's because they didn't win at a high level. I, I don't really – I'm not even familiar with what – how that team was. I know Roger McClendon. I couldn't tell you who else he played with. <laughs> well, you, you're spot on. First of all, he might be the most low-key Hall of Famer of all time in Bearcat history. Like, he's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know that. He was a McDonald's All-American. Like, he played there. And um, you know, he even talked about it was him and Danny Manning. Or, or, mm. Like, Danny Manning almost went to UC. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Yeah, so it would have been because Danny Manning and um, Roger played in the McDonald's All-American game. And um, and then when Roger got to UC, Tony Yates was the coach. And the reason Roger wanted to come to UC, I think I believe the season before, like, the Bearcats were like 3 and 20-something. They were awful. Mm-hmm. But Roger wanted to be a part of a big turnaround. He wanted to be that guy that led them to, you know, that next level. And you know, they went like 17-5 and five the next year. They never got over that hump during his four years. So I think he's not celebrated like others because that team, he never went to the NCAA tournament in his career. Never. Wow. Went to the NIT once. So I think if he would have had NCAA opportunities and played well, like, I think he'd probably be celebrated a little bit more. Oh, okay. Yeah. And you brought up Danny Manning, man. My, my story about Danny Manning was, it was an agent here named Ron Grinker. Are you familiar with him? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, Grinker would bring his – yeah, that was his agent. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He would bring his guys back to the to the university to play in the summer, uh-huh. you know, to work out and different things. And I remember uh, we went to open gym one day, and Danny Manning and a lot of those former pro players was actually in the gym, and we played against those guys uh, – Dave Cowens, you know, all those guys were in the gym. And, and that was the first time where I actually thought that I handled my own against a pro. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danny, you know, I had a good run that day. So I, I never forget Danny Manning's name because it, that's really who gave me the confidence based off how I played. Like, you know, if I can get this off on this dude, man, I, I might be all right. <laughs> right. Gave, gave you that confidence. Yeah. Well, no right. doubt. Let's, let's talk a little bit about Kobe. 
And obviously, you had a relationship with Kobe. You played yeah. with Kobe. He was a rookie when you were there. Um, and you were at his you were at his retirement. Um, I saw the videos um, at his retirement. Um, I saw you dapping him up, giving him a hug, talking to him. Mm-hmm. Um, that whole retirement thing was was unbelievable. The amount of, of people that were there. Um, talk about that experience a little bit first. Well, I got a call from the Lake organization and told me that they were going to try to do something special for Kobe for his retirement. And, uh, of course, they asked me that I wanted 10. I was like, sure. And then I called my my buddy, Ruben, who had uh, played with the Lakers a little while while I was there and told him what was going on. And I had them call and invite Ruben. So we went out there together. And, uh, man, it was it was unbelievable, man. I mean, I've always had a love and a respect factor for Kobe Bryant. Uh-huh. And it, it wasn't it wasn't based off the fact that he was just this mega superstar because I, I, I felt that I met him or had a chance to interact with him when he was at his vulnerable stage, uh-huh. like where he was really, really, really trying to prove himself. Right, right. And the things that it just goes back that I that I can remember about how, like, I would walk in the gym and he'd be like, man, see, Blunt, let me show you this move I'm working on. Uh-huh. Or, man, what do you think about this? If I if I show the ball this way and, and then I, I stutter step, you know, those were the conversations. And I, you know, like, man, sometimes, man, you ain't going to get that off on me. <laughs> you right. know? Well, no, nah, I know if I can get it off on you. I know somebody my size ain't going to be able to stop it. I'm like, okay, well, let me see what you work with. You know what I mean? So uh-huh. it was interactions like that. And then the fact when he when he came to the, the Lakers, man, Jerry I mean, not Jerry, uh, Jerry West had told me, like, you know, the young fella's coming. I want you to, you know, work with him, acclimate him to the offense. It was during the summer league. And I tell everybody this, man, he came to practice. You know, I was impressed with him. But then when we played our first game, Man, the dude went on one. He had, he had 36 points his first game at at the Long Beach Summer League, right? Huh. The rest of the Summer League, he averaged 36 points. Huh. And so I'm telling everybody, like, I'm telling all my friends, like, man, I just seen the next Michael Jordan. <laughs> right. Yep. Nah, yeah, whatever, man. That dude 18 years old. Like, no, you got to come see this dude, man. The dude is a, he's a beast. Man, ain't no way in hell. You know, I'm getting all this. And then they come to Long Beach and see, you know, we went from having like maybe 450 people at the game to damn near selling out Long Beach Arena. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and then to have that, that opportunity to play with him during that season. I tell everybody, man, if Kobe Bryant would have got drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers or the, or the, the Clippers at that time, uh-huh. he probably would have been top 10 in scoring. Because uh-huh. even if his FGMs weren't qualifying him to be the, the leading scorer, his FGA was. Uh-huh. So yep. for those who don't know what I'm saying, he his field goals may might not have been enough to get him to 20 to 30 points, but he would have shot the ball <laughs> enough <laughs> to get 20 to 30 points because yep. he would have had the green light. He was drafted by a good team. I mean, we were loaded that year. Uh-huh. You know, and then for him to come in and, and kind of have to piggyback off of Eddie Jones, who was an all-star. Yep. You know, it was just a phenomenal thing. And the kids work ethic, man. And 
you know, those special times when, you know, I, I pride myself because I took him to get his first big steak from Morton's, Morton's uh-huh. Steakhouse, man. And, you know, he was just surprised that it cost like $60. He's like, man, we paying $60 for one piece of meat? <laughs> like, boy, it's the big league. Boy, you know uh-huh. what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. So, those things now, like that, man. In your, your time with, with, with Kobe, you guys, um, see, he was a, a rookie. Now, was he there? Now, your first season, your first season with the Lakers, Nick was there. And that was when he that was when he shoved the referee, right? Yeah. A, yep. Oh, yep. That was and, the second uh, year, I think, when Nick did that because Kobe was on the team when that happened. Okay. So Kobe yeah. was a rookie that year. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you you guys never never won a championship. Nah. No. Nah. Which is which is nah. crazy. Shaq yeah. and Kobe. So I mean, some loaded rosters. Man, yeah. that's gonna get past the Jazz. Yeah, I, and I, I, I attest that to coach and Dale Harris couldn't handle all those different personalities. Uh huh. You know, you had Nick who was Nick, and you had Eddie who was Eddie, then you got Shaq and Kobe, <laughs> you got Rick Fox and Robert Orr, you got me, you know, and Eddie Elton Campbell, and that's <laughs> loaded, man. That's <laughs> loaded. Yeah, Sean Rook, we were, uh, yeah, we were loaded, man. We were loaded. We were loaded. Just couldn't yep. get past them damn jazz, man. To this yeah. day, I wake up in the middle of the night. Stop them alone. Stop them alone. Stop them alone. <laughs> damn pick and roll. <laughs> yeah. Man. You nightmares, shit. You know, the the thing, that, and I've always found this to be fascinating. I was talking to my mother about this, um, gosh, about a month ago. I was like, Mom, you know what is so crazy about just how small the basketball world is when Kobe passed away? It really hit me how many ties that Kobe had, close ties, to the Bearcats. Oh, my God. Is that not Man, crazy? Like, I got a funny story for that. Uh-huh. And this is the honest God truth. If it was a it was a cameraman in the in the at his retirement, right? Uh-huh. So me and Ruben, we go upstairs, and I'm walking around. You know, I see Shaq. I'm shooting the shit with Shaq. And, and Rick and them, and the dude tapped me on my shoulder like, man, Kobe want Kobe wants you. I'm like, where he at? He's like, he's in the locker room. And I'm like, what? You know, I said, okay. So I go downstairs, and when I walk in, he say, C. You know, is that word? C motherfucking blunt. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> and I'm like, I said, Rook, what's going on? Because I, you know, I always give him shit. I still call him Rook. I'm like, Rook, what's going on? And he dabbed me up. We hug. He's like, man, how you doing? And and we just laughing and laughing. And he said, man, let me ask you a serious question. I mean, the dude is filming this. Uh-huh. He said, man, let me ask you a serious I'm like, what's up? He said, man, why are you motherfuckers from Cincinnati so damn crazy? <laughs> I'm like, man, what you mean? He said, okay, I'm a name. He said, Nick, yep. Tony Bobbitt, Ruben <laughs> Patterson, Art Long, Antonio Wingfield, Danny Fortson, Kenyon Martin, <laughs> and you. I said, well, you know what? I said, you might be right, but we play hard, right? He said, oh, yeah, yeah, now y'all play hard. <laughs> sure. But we laughed that off, man. But that's, that's funny you said that because he even kind of, you know, he like, man, Cincinnati even had some some hell of a tough players come through that program in the, in the NBA at that time, man. I yep. swear, that's the first thing he hit me with when we was in the conversation. But 
I was I was killed to have that footage, man. Cause I we were laughing and, and joking about that for about ten or fifteen minutes, man. Mm-hmm. Now, now, now talk to us a little bit about um, when you found out um, that he died and like where you were, and then you know your kind of reaction to it. Man, I was on my way to take my daughter and her friends to uh, the UC women's game. They were playing Temple. Mm-hmm. And I had pulled into the into the little Bearcat circle where the Bearcat is at. And I had just had told them, okay, I'm going to drop you off here and I'm going to go park the car. And as soon as they were getting out, I get a text from Nick showing me the, uh, the uh, TMZ article, like Kobe Bryant, you know, involved in the fatal helicopter crash and pretty much that he died and i'm like so when he when i looked at it, i'm like oh shit this tmz i ain't gonna pay no attention to that <laughs> right thank you. you know yeah yeah so i pulled i, I put the car i can see i put the car in drive and all of a sudden my phone said so then i pick it up again and it's brian washington the one that played for a friend of mine that played for the new york Jets. Uh-huh. that lives here in Cincinnati. And I pick up the phone, and it's B. He's like, blunt. Like, what's going on? He said, man, your boy died. I'm like, who? He like, Kobe. I'm like, what? He's like, man, yeah, I heard he, 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 he was involved in, in a, 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 the helicopter. I'm like, nah, man, that ain't true, man. That was on TMZ, man. Uh-huh. He said, nah, man, you better check it out. So while he's talking to me, I'm instantly going to Google, like Kobe Bryant. And then I start seeing you know, possibility, you know, this happened, and they started trying to show little pictures and stuff. I'm like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. So I said, man, let me hit you back. As soon as I hang up with him, Ruben called me. Mm-hmm. And he's just going ham. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, no, blood, man, you know, it can't be real. I'm like, man, I know. I said, man, I know, man. I said, I know. He said, man, dog, it ain't real, is it? I said, man, I, I think it is, man. And then while I'm talking to him, I turn on the radio. They tell me Rick Fox is in the damn helicopter. I, I remember that. Yep. And I'm like, what? So then I put the car in drive and just sat there like, man, I didn't even go into the game. Mm-hmm. I sat in the car the entire game. Mm-hmm. And just like, man, just couldn't believe it. Like, because it made me think back. I'm trying to think when the last time. I saw Cope was when I had, you know, I retired with the Lakers, and they brought me back because he won, you know, it was based on his his uh, his his uh, representation, kind of like man, you know, that they he he wanted me to come back, like man, talking to Phil, and he's like, man, yeah, Kobe really wants you to come back. He thought you always played hard, and then when I got there, that's when Tony Bobbitt was on the team, mm-hmm. and uh. So we, you know, it was always a respect factor between me and him. Uh-huh. And then uh, that really made me think when the last time that I really had actual conversation with him about the whole, you know, situation as far as me getting ready to retire. And retire as a pro. So, you know, that's what I, I had a conversation with him. Like, man, I think I'm about to let this game go, man. And I said, man, I appreciate you, you know, vouching for me to come back, but this knee ain't finna let me go no more, man. So I'm done. <laughs> he was like, man, I respect that, man. You know, you always been my guy, man. I wish you the best, man. And that was pretty much the last time I had like, you know, real conversation with him. 
I went to a couple of Laker games after that, but so it just made me flash back to all them times. And 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 the one story I love to tell is when I'm playing for the Bulls, uh, getting towards the end of my career, and, and me and Tyson Chandler, we get off the bus and we walk into the arena, and Kobe is walking up also, and he kind of like. Oh, see, motherfucking blunt. <laughs> Gave me a hug and then, you know, dapped Tyson up. He's like, man, so you back in L.A., huh? I said, yeah. I said, we just left Port- Portland and we, we whooped their ass and we coming to whoop some lake ass tonight, too. Uh-huh. He said, shit. <laughs> that ain't happening. I said, man, what you mean? I said, man, we rolling right now. I said, I got these young boys hooping. Uh-huh. He said, well, you know what I'm going to do, man? I'm going to let you, I'm going to let y'all win all the way to the fourth quarter just for you. I'm like, man, who the hell you, you know, what the hell type? I'm like, man, whatever. I'm like, man, who the hell you think you is? Uh-huh. Man, I'm like, no. Nah. He said, for real, I'm going I'm to let y'all win all the way to the fourth quarter. So I'm like, all right, young know, you know, all right, bro, I hear what you're saying. Like, so go to the locker room, game start. And, man, we win, and, you know, I'm in and out of the game. You know, we we keeping it competitive. And then the fourth quarter come, I'll never forget it. So I'm, I'm like, I, I used to lay on the floor, like, in front of the bench. Cause all the you know the seats was taken up, so I'm laying on the floor. For a quarter come, I think we was up, if I'm not mistaken. He he walked by the bench and was like, "Blunt, I hope you enjoyed y'all lead, <laughs> cause it's over." I'm like, "Okay, whatever." Uh-huh. Man, every time he scored, he laughed or looked at me like, "I told you, it's over, <laughs> it's over, it's over." Yeah, like damn, they're 15 points in the fourth quarter, man. Uh. And won it. so they end up beating us that game, and we, you know we laughed about it after the game. And, you know those those little things just came flashing back in my mind, the conversations and interacting with his sisters and his mom and dad and them at that time. You know that, that's when I was there. Uh-huh. Like I was I was able to see the engagement with the entire family. You know before all the other stuff happened, so it, it was just a crazy experience, man. Yeah, man, that's just such a. Sad story. And I've talked to a lot of former players. I mean, uh, I mean, you heard the Tony Bobbitt interview and talked mm-hmm. to Rube and, and you. And I mean, Kobe was was definitely a special dude, man. And and, and sad uh, what happened to him and Gigi and the other lives in the in the helicopter. But um, and w- one thing I definitely want to really dive into is the documentary that. I guess the entire world's been talking about. That's the last dance. Man, I can imagine the ratings on that thing. And and (laughs) the the crazy thing, I don't know if you felt the way that I felt last night. And and when it was over, the the second episode was over, I'm like, yo, give me me the rest of them. Man, I was disappointed. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) Like, damn. I got to wait. Till next Sunday, you're gonna be like, oh, this week's gotta go quick. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Why don't you just tell us? Let's let's get down through this, man. Like, what what were your thoughts on what you saw in the two episodes? Well, I've always had a a, a respect and an he was he was a little more he he was private, you know. You didn't really have too much access to Mike at that time, and if it was like whenever you saw him, he had his his body I wouldn't say bodyguard, but he had his entourage of security people with him, and then the NBA had an entourage of security people with him. 
So you really couldn't have too much access. And the, and the reason I'm saying that is because I noticed that when I was on the team, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. And I can imagine how difficult it was for fans, you know, uh-huh. everybody shoving stuff in his face and trying to get him to sign this. And, and at, at one point, you know, I used to think like, man, why don't you, why don't you just sign that? Uh-huh. I mean, if I sign one, I got to sign 150. Uh-huh. I, I don't want to do that to nobody. And I'm like, okay, I guess that's how you got to look at it. But once I got the chance to kind of see how that went with these guys, like it does become overbearing, man. Uh-huh. You know, when you're trying to get somewhere, or you're trying to focus or something, or you, you know, you're trying to go throughout, and somebody's constantly, constantly hounding you. And so I kind of saw the, you know, the brashness that he had to have to be able to get through his life and his uh-huh. day at that time. So I, I think they kind of re- they showed a little glimpses of that uh, kind of attitude that he had. Uh-huh. You know, and, and it was more so the fact that. In order for him to be who he was, he had he had to he had to have that at that time, and I was just impressed with you know I didn't get to interact with the young Mike, you know I didn't I didn't know that story about the situations, and he went through with those teams and those guys and the story about him going in the room and them guys having coke and all that stuff in the room. And, that was crazy. You know, yeah, and, and so that was a different era of the NBA, but to see that and see that. That's some of the things that he was he had to even endure to be who he was. You know, it just gave me a another level of respect for him uh, as a player and as a person. I mean, it, who wasn't a Michael Jordan fan at that time? Right. It, and my my friend, um, I've talked to my friend that that works with him, and and he's had conversations with with Michael just about his career and. One thing that Michael said to my friend, he was like, things were so crazy at that time. He was like, man, I just blacked out, like, for a large part of my career. where I was so focused in on playing mm-hmm. and winning championships, man. He was like, so much stuff was a blur. Like, I literally had to, you know, black out. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you hear about that with, like, runners that run marathons. Like, they just literally have to black out in order yeah. to run that marathon at that pace just to survive through that. It sounded like he had, you know, he had to do that. But the one thing I find fascinating with Michael is I feel like now he's more comfortable with being Michael Jordan because for so long, I think after he played, like I just think he just didn't want to be Michael Jordan at times. As as exciting as it probably seems, like dude could not go to the grocery store, can't go to movies. He could leave his house, man. No, no, and and that and that that pressure of being that it definitely weighs on you eventually. If you, you know, I think only a few have that that type of uh, that other level type of characteristics to be the best. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And for for you to have that, and then you also have the drive behind you with the physical attributes and uh-huh. the skill set. Your whole thing is just perfection. Uh-huh. Like, I'm not settling for nothing but perfection. I saw that in Kobe, uh-huh. you know, and I saw that in, and I saw that in Mike. I also saw that in, in Scottie Pippen, but their approach was totally different. Uh-huh. You know so, what I mean? so explain that. Well, my, the, Mike had the, the stigma already, like, I'm already the best player, and nobody is going to prove 
prove that I'm not the best player. Uh-huh. Pip more so was like, I'm going to show you I'm the best player by by kind of dominating you. And, and once you get off the court with me, you're going to say, man, that dude's pretty good. Uh-huh. But Mike seemed like when he plays, you're going to say, man, that's the best player i ever seen in my life. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? And that's not a knock on Pip, but he was the Robin to uh-huh. Michael Jordan. Oh, you yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So that was his, that's the role, or that's how I think majority of people view him because of that. But, man, I was so excited to see Mike's part, and I'm like, man, they finally getting ready to get in the Pip. Uh-huh. Because that's who I really like, man. I love Scotty Pippen. Yep. I, yep. I mean, I love Scotty Pippen, and not just the fact for what he did uh, while I was there playing and watching him play as a as a teammate. But man, he just he basically gave me the, what I needed to be a pro. Uh-huh. You know, he he actually held my hand and worked walked me through different things and talked to me about what it's going to take and how they viewed me and all that stuff. So I had a special bond with him, and I'm still cool with. Him. Like I talked to him about a week ago, and and he you know, FaceTime me, and we talked for about an hour just catching oh, wow. up. Yeah. Wow! You so, know, I, I, and I like you. I, I'm also glad that people got to see that side of, of Pippen, how good he was. Because if you would take a, a Scotty Pippen and put him in 2020, just coming out, I know his college experience was a lot different than than anybody's, but. Just what he did in the NBA, like I feel like players like that wouldn't want to be a number two guy. Like oh, they want to be number one with the Cavs, the Clippers, somebody else. Yeah, they wouldn't. Yeah. I can't play, you know. It, 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 but I'm glad people got to see how good that man that dunk he had on Ewing. That was like one of the first things they showed up. So oh crazy. yeah, that was crazy. And then I thought that I, I hope everybody kind of watched it and was able to interpret the business side of uh. the NBA with that move they were making with Mike uh-huh. were not allowing him to play. Not the fact that they didn't want him to get hurt, but in the same time, they were playing and Luke wanted to probably want to lose games to get yeah. a high draft pick. That's, that's what I really think. That's what they were doing. Deep down. I think, of course they're trying to protect Mike, but they wanted that. They wanted a better pick. Yeah, and, no doubt. Yeah. And, and Jerry, and that was Jerry's job. Like my interactions with Jerry was was I was I was cool with Jerry. You know, of course I had respect for him for giving me the opportunity to go play for the Bulls, but just my interactions with him. You know, even when I was ready to leave, you know, they was just telling me, man, just wait your time. We drafted you for a reason, and I'm telling him, like, man, I ain't gonna never be successful here. <laughs> you know, because me and Nick then already worked out a deal where he can get me in L.A. So my whole mind frame was, man, I need to get to California. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. So whenever the reporters would stick the mic in front of my face, I'm like, man, I don't, I don't want to be. I don't think I'll ever be successful here. Uh-huh. And he came to me like, you know, okay, you you made that comment. Him and Phil sat me down and said, you made that comment uh, several times, and we've told you, you know, our plans for you. What do you want to do? And I said, man, I want to be successful. He said, well, and then Jerry was like, well, I never get. He's like, well, well, where do you need to go where you think you'll be successful? <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said, man, I probably could be successful if I could get to L.A. And, and Jerry, you know, he had this little thing where he go, burp, burp. you know, he go, burp. well, okay, 
you're my draft pick, and I value my guys. If you feel that's where you can be successful at, I'm going to do everything in my power to make that happen if you're going to be happy. I was like, okay. He called my agent, and my agent called me like, is that what you said? I'm like, yeah, man, I don't want to be here no more. Uh (laughs) And they made it happen, man. I ended up going to L.A. with Nick and the rest of it. Now, now they based off of what you just said, that so far in the um, in the two episodes, I mean, they paint Jerry Krause as a villain. I mean, Jerry, yeah. Jerry Krause right now on Twitter is probably villain number one <laughs> on Twitter, like public enemy number one right now. Did you right. take it as that? Like, did you? I know, I know that that sounded good. What you just said, like he looked out for you because you were his draft pick. But you have good experiences with him. But you have that same feeling that people did after watching that. Man, I was making more money than Scottie Pippen. Shit, why wouldn't I? Uh... Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> you know, I signed a six six year, six million dollar deal. You know what I mean? So I think uh-huh. at that time, nah, I wasn't making. I think Pippen was making like one point something though at that time. But I wasn't far from him. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And I was on. I was. On Pip's side, like, at that time, man, Mike, even when Mike came back, man, there was a resentment that I wasn't aware of because I wasn't there for what, what you guys see now. I wasn't familiar with none of that, but I saw the, the disrespect that they would show Jerry. Like, I mean, they would literally tear his ass up as soon as he'd get on the bus. <laughs> Mike was really brutal. Like, Scotty was brutal. Like, this, you know, I ain't going to say the names and different things, but it was it was comical, like, they would just tear his ass up on the and it was loud. Like wasn't trying to keep it a secret. You know, and, and Jerry would have to endure that. Yeah. No. That's that's funny. That's crazy. Now, you when you got to the Bulls, you got there in nineteen ninety three, so Jordan retired. Mhm. Right? And yep. then um when he came back, you were there for the comeback? Yes. Yeah. Right. The forty-five. Yep. Um, talk to us a little bit about about that, man. Well, the retirement first. Um, I remember I was I was in L.A. and Jerry had called and said that that everybody was going to have to be back at a certain time based on some things that was going on. So I had to fly back and. Um, you know, they called us in, and i never forget it. Like, Mike came and spoke to the team. You know, we was all in the locker room, and he came in and pretty much just spoke to the team, saying that he was going to announce his retirement. You know, nobody's supposed to, you know, keep it, you know, we had to keep it quiet, basically, at that time. There wasn't no social media, thank God, because I would have been tweeting my ass off of it. <laughs> right. As soon as he said it, I'd have grabbed my phone like. <laughs> but you know, so it wasn't none of that to kind of leak anything or uh-huh. anything. But you know, he just, you know, of course it was all over the news about his dad, different things that was going on, and the speculation with the mob and all that stuff. But uh-huh. his whole thing was that he just didn't really have the desire to perform at the level that he felt was necessary for him to be who he was. So. He was stepping away from the game. He didn't mention anything about baseball that I can recall. He was just retiring. And so when that happened, of course, uh, the next day, I mean, we all had to 
come to the Birdo Center and they had the platform and that's when he announced his retirement. I'm I'm standing on the opposite side of uh tipping all them guys, but I was there. Media frenzy was crazy that whole day and uh he announced his retirement but so that means it was Pip's team that year. And Pip took on the leadership role of really being that workhorse, man. Like I swear Pip was Pip was Michael Jordan to me at that year. Like he led our team in scoring, he led our team in rebounding, he led our team in steals, he led our team in assists, block shots, he led our team in every damn category. Uh-huh. And was just like just killing it. Unfortunately, we fell short and didn't make it to the play. Um, didn't make it to the to the finals. But Pip just really had a hell of a year. He was an All Star MVP that year. That's when he wore red uh, Pippins, if you remember that, in All Star game. And so it was it was Pip's team, and mm-hmm. so that year went by, and uh, the rumors that Mike wasn't having success in baseball, as we all know. <laughs> right. And I never forget he he came to the gym one day, and uh, we were all in there. You know, we playing open open gym, and he came in was getting some rec. And you you know, I ain't gonna lie, me being who I was at the time, I'm talking trash as everybody else was, and I can't and I, I'm not, I don't want to say this wrong, but I think he he tried to do something, and he missed a dunk or something like that. And I was like, shit, you are you never dunk on me anyway. You know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. you're like, what? I'm like, man, you never dunk on me, man. He's like, okay, okay. You better check my resume. You know, that's what he said. You better check my resume. Uh-huh. So that that whole scenario went. And then it went to the comeback, the, the final game in the old arena. And I think you told that story um, about when the situation happened at the in the cellular one, Scotty Pippen's cellular one game when he finally caught me. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't even want to talk about that, but yeah. (laughs) He called me, talked shit, blah blah blah. But after that, we all had a sense that he was missing and wanting to come back. You know, it wasn't clear, but just the way he played in that game and and the fan reactions and and how he was just admired and everybody was loving. We had an idea that he wanted to come back. So the season started, and it was you know still Pip's team. And we, were, I don't know, if we weren't doing bad, but you know, we weren't, we weren't winning games like we probably. I know we weren't just, we weren't in first and second place, something like that. But rumors was coming back that he was coming back. And the day he made the announcement, man, I, it seemed like the whole country of China was at the damn Birdo Center. Like I remember pulling up, you know, and they had already told us, you know, we might be. So we had to get, and I don't know if you ever been to the Birdo Center, but it's a long, private kind of drive, mm-hmm. and it was so much media there. That's what I remember the most. It was so much media there that the police had to come meet me down the street and escort me into the Birdo Center. Yeah. And man, it was just unbelievable. Uh, that whole ride when he came back, man, it was. I needed security. That's crazy. You know, it was people trying to sneak in my rooms, trying to get out there, and keep, keep, you know, females, men, grown men, you know, crying and <laughs> just wanting to get a, a piece of this dude, man. And then just, you know, of course, the, the games, the Indiana game and the New York game, was just like, man, 
was back. And I had a, a small role, you know, my thing was I would uh I would get frustrated because, you know, when I got my minutes, man, I felt that I produced but my lease was so short with the Bulls because they was they was nurturing Tony Kukoc. Uh-huh. You know, yep. so I get out there and make one mistake, and I'm coming out, and then I'm watching him make four mistakes. And he's getting an opportunity to play through his mistakes. And I would, you know, of course, that's when I'm like, man, you know, I get it. That was a trap pick, but he can't guard nobody. You know, he gets killed. And they don't say nothing to him. Mm-hmm. So uh, I feel like, well, that you know, we don't need you talking about that. You know, we got plans for you, blah, blah, blah. So that's kind of how that whole thing went. End up going through that season, man, and uh, just it was an unbelievable ride with that guy being back, man. The whole world was anticipating this moment, and when it happened, it was just unbelievable. <clears throat> yeah, this, I don't, I don't, I was telling my mom this when we were talking about the last dance. I just don't. I don't think we'll ever see anything like this ever again. Um, Le- LeBron is obviously such a, um, you know, great ambassador for the game, great person, great parent. Um, he checks all the boxes. But, man, the, the rock star frenzy, just the Beatles-like following the Michael Jackson. I mean, Michael Jordan was the most popular person in the world. And, the, and the, whoever was second was, like, closer to third than they were being number one. Like, Mike was that popular all around the world, man. Yeah. Not, nothing like that. I try to explain it to young people. Um, and, and, of course, they love love LeBron and, and love the Kobe. I'm just like, I, I, you just got to see it. You had to experience it. Like, YouTube sometimes just doesn't do what this dude was doing. Like, no. Right? No, no. Yeah. You know, I heard Allen Iverson, and, and every player kind of attested this. Like his aura, man. Like mm-hmm. it was like he was in the presence of, of, of just pure greatness at his purest form. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. Like, the way he walked, the way he, his shoes, his, his socks, his, his one knee brace, his, his arm. Okay. <laughs> everything. His bald head, man. The dude was just like. In today's words, swag the fuck out, man. (laughs) (laughs) Everything. All those things that you just named, every single young person in the country to some degree was copying that. Like I had to, and I had to wrist stand on the arm in college Mm. at UC just because of Mike. Like I would have wore the knee sleeve like Mike, but I didn't have the medical issue like I didn't have to, I just wanna wear it. Like, I just wanna wear that thing like like right. and, and then flip that one part down he had at the top. I mean just everything about what he did. Now, you were there like we were talking about when when he wore forty five, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In in the game versus the Orlando Magic in the playoffs, he busted out the Jordan elevens, the patent leather. Yeah. Prior to that, he had been wearing the Jordan 10s, but, man, no one in the world has saw those Jordan 11s, the patent leather, man. And I remember watching TV like, what in the world are those? Did you see them in the locker room? Man, that's what I was getting ready to tell you, man. Y'all want to hear this? I got it on video, too. I swear, I can, I can, I, my, my, but some of my buddies that flew into town and, uh, like I say, when you sign with the Bulls, you get access to the locker room in the gym anytime you want to. Uh-huh. 
So I tell them, like, you know, of course they want to see the, the facility. So when I go, nobody's there but us. Mm-hmm. And so I take them in the locker room, and these shoes are there in the boxes. And then you got these patent leather ones that's down on the floor. And my boy picked them up like, man, look at these ugly-ass shoes right here. <laughs> <laughs> and I grabbed them like, yeah, them, them the ones they saying Mike going to wear next. Man, I don't know about this shit right here. You know, because <laughs> <laughs> you know, the big shiny, you know, yeah. he hadn't worn them yet. I guess that's probably why it didn't have that same effect that, as it did once he, once he wore them. Then you like, uh-huh. man, them are sweet now. Man. But when we first saw him, we like, eh, I ain't really feeling that right there. But uh-huh. I, I swear, last night while we was watching that, I told my wife, I said, if you ever want to do me a favor or do something for me, I want a pair of them Jordans again. <laughs> I had one pair, <laughs> and I mistreated them. Uh-huh. And I can never find a 16 ever again Ooh. in those black leather. That's a lot of patent leather right there. <laughs> Man. Yeah. Man, I, I I tell you what's so crazy about that is you talk about your buddies saying this, you know, the shoes are ugly. You know, those are like considered the greatest shoe of all time. Um oh, and, and that shoe they re released that exact shoe again um recently and it sold more than any other shoe in the history. Oh, I believe it. Because they had the gray ones and they had the blue Ooh, the blue ones was just so sick. I could yeah. never find them in the 16. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but that was like, those shoes were were like so him because as much as I, as much as I idolized Mike on the court, the thing for me was I knew I would never be able to be Michael Jordan. I'm not going to be that tall. I just, it just wasn't me. But his off the court swag at that time, man, was, was just like, I mean, I went. I asked my mom and dad, "Can I go buy a suit?" And they were like, "Why do you want? To, what do you need a suit for?" Man, Michael Jordan has this like olive suit. Ooh, I got to <laughs> get one just like this. And we went out and got one. And he, I mean, he showed up to every game, press conferences, suit and tie. Oh had, yeah. Right. Had the yep. fresh shoes, immaculate. He had the Oakley sunglasses that I had to go out and buy. I mean, just everything. And and. When those Jordan 11s came out, it was such a great mixture of sport and business, which was him. Like, mm-hmm. you can see the sport in the shoe, but then the patent leather represented the business, right? Right. Like, man, those. <laughs> now, can, can you imagine you got those guys suited up like that, right? Uh-huh. Then you got a young rookie like me walking in with some car knives. <laughs> <laughs> baggy, baggy shirt, baggy pants with some Timberlands on, <laughs> pulling up in the six four hitting switches. Rosie at the house. They're like, boy, this book right here is crazy, man. Like, right. Different eras, player. It was just, you know, and that's when when people would really start putting sounds in their cars. So I had like eight fifteen in the back of my trunk. You know, I was I was the first one to hit. Let them see all that part of it. Like, man, this boy done bought this truck and put all these speakers in the back. <laughs> they used to clown me about all that stuff, man. Now, now, when was the last time that you had a conversation with Michael Jordan? I was in New Orleans at the casino. 
and I never forget it. I was I was playing the slots, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden somebody grabbed me, picked me up, and slammed me on like pushed me on the ground, and I'm like trying to see who it was. It was Charles Oakley and Michael Jordan. Oh man, those two together. Yeah, they were together down there in New Orleans, and uh, they came and you know grappled me. I'm like, what's going on, man? I'm like, hey, what's going on, man? Mm-hmm. You know, what you got to man? My, my grand, I bought my grandmother a house down here, man. So I'm just out here, me and my brother. You know, my, uh, he met Charles and Mike. You know, we all, like, what y'all, I forgot what he said. They were down there for it, but that was the last time I talked to him. I was like, man, let me hold something, man. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what year was that? Ooh, what year was that? It was before Katrina, so what year was that? Was was right before Katrina, yeah. Okay. It was a while ago. Yeah. And, I, and I'm glad, I'm glad, I hope that the documentary, you know, kind of brings this out too. It's like, I'm glad to see Michael more comfortable with being, you know, Michael Jordan. Um, and, and it's funny, so I watched, uh, you know, I watched a lot of interviews on YouTube. And I remember watching this one, um, Will Smith was on some sort of like interview panel in England. And people were like in England were going crazy for Will Smith, and the guy was like, "Well, what is that like, man? You're from you're from Philadelphia, and and you know, fast forward to now, you you're in England, and people are going crazy for you." And right. Will Smith was like, "I just love being Will Smith. Like I love being Will Smith," and that like hit me. Whereas you look at Michael Jordan, and he's just like. Man, there's some days, man, I wish I could just be somebody else where I could just walk around and, and be. Because for so long, I mean, Will Smith can, I think, walk around a little more freely than, than Jordan. But right. man, just just being trapped in that, you're, you're the most famous, most popular person in the world, but yet you're kind of trapped. Man, exactly. Yeah, a few Mikes had that problem. <laughs> Mike, <laughs> Mike Jackson, Mike. Yeah, Tyson. Yeah, man. man. Did you know? Did you know Mike Tyson lived in Ohio for a short period? Yeah, in Cleveland, right? I don't know how far. I don't know if he was close to Cleveland. Could be right. I don't know how far up north he was, but I think the way the, the story I heard was Tyson's trainer at the time lived in Ohio, and he wanted to be closer to the trainer, so he bought you know some like house off the highway. Man, Which it wasn't you, no house. It was a mega mansion. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Mega Mansion. Have, have you seen the pictures of it on the internet? Yeah, yeah. And, and 50 Cent bought it. No, that was, was the one in Connecticut. That was the one. In, I thought I thought that was the one in Connecticut that 50 bought. Not oh, you're Ohio. right. No, you're right. You're right. It was one in Connecticut. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I, I think, I don't know this to be true, but I think that when Mike had that lion or tiger or whatever he had, I think he had that in Ohio for a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I think he, I think he did. But yeah, yeah that's crazy. Yeah. I'm anxious to see how they, you know. I, I hope they're not not done focusing on on Pips, uh, just prowess as a basketball player. And you know, he had his issues and and situations that he had as a player. Um, not just what they show as far as contract thing, but, you know, there were some other issues that he had that I don't know if they're going to go into, but I'm, I'm anxious to see 
how well they uh, continue to portray Pip. I'm not nowhere interested in Dennis Rodman's story. I give a damn <laughs> about what they say or how they go about <laughs> alluding to him. I'm not. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I mean, he's, I, a, he's a different he's, dude. He's weird, man. Yeah, so that's part of me moving. But Phil, uh, I'm, I, I hope they go into Phil. Uh, kind of his dichotomy of, of his analysis of the to, the approach of the game, man. Uh, that's one thing I really wish I'd have did better was really buy into to his philosophy. I understood it after I left the Bulls, uh-huh. and then once I rejoined them as a Laker. But you know, and I told him like I, I apologized to him like, Coach, man, I get it now, like. Your whole philosophy, your approach, man, I, I so respect it now. And he was just mm-hmm. like, yeah, most most young guys don't get it, you know what I mean? But Yeah, yeah. And Phil was a dynamic coach, man, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I, I totally agree with that. I think he does get, for whatever reason, he gets lost in the shuffle of great coaches, obviously because people always say, well, he had arguably the greatest you know, players. Yeah, four, yeah, four of the greatest players ever, most dominant yeah. players I'm like, yeah, that's true, but at the, at the at the professional level, you have to have a great ability to manage personality, more so than college, right? Yeah, he took the team, he took that that team that the Lakers won their first championship with that wasn't better than the team that we had and won a championship with. Mm, yep. Yep. You, you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, if you go sure. back and look at the team that we had the year before he got there, he would have had us. We won a championship. They just had to get rid of my ass to win a championship. That's that's just where I can <laughs> come to the conclusion. Like, damn, you can't keep just missing all of them. So apparently you are the problem. <laughs> that's crazy. That's crazy. But no, I, I, and I go back, Corey, to what I said earlier, man. Just you've had an amazing, an amazing life. Just um, the amount of people that you've had the opportunity to meet, be around. I mean, just so much greatness and so much history, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's I mean, that's people people dream to like do the things, be around the people that you have, and I mean, the shit. Kobe died, Tupac died, like those people that you've been around, like that's. that's I'm not leave. I had interactions with him. Oh wow. Yeah, it's just it's it's been, and I I was. I reflect back on like all the people that I had the opportunity to meet during this journey, man, and it is a it is an unbelievable ride, man, for for a kid like me who wasn't high, highly touted coming out of high school, you know, just happened to get in the van <laughs> and go uh-huh. down to a junior college and going down there to help my friend make the team, and I end up being the focal point of the trip. It just it all started from there, man, and. And, and and I know I wanted to say this, like my my high school coach, Mel Sims, posted on his football I mean on his football on his Facebook page the three P jacket that I gave to him when I became a bull. I had a custom made three P jacket done and I gave it to my coach and he posted it. So if you want to see a sweet jacket, go on Mel Sims Facebook page and look at that jacket. You're gonna be blown away. I, I saw you. I think you reposted. I think he said that it weighed seven pounds. 
Yeah, it was all <laughs> leather, man. Patches was leather. I saw that. I think I spent like two thousand dollars. Something crazy. I don't remember how much. It was Ooh. it was custom like man, I said, man, I'm and I just gave that to him just to let him know how much I appreciated him, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and Corey, here's what I want to do. I want to end uh, the podcast on asking you quick questions and quick answers. Okay, you ready? Yep. All right, here we go. Quick questions, quick answers with Corey Blunt. Question number one. In a one-on-one match, who would win? Prime MJ versus Prime LeBron. One-on-one or ten? I would say Prime MJ. Mm-hmm. The only reason I I say that is because LeBron wouldn't just bag him down and make it simple. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think he'd try to play the perimeter game or, you know, try to rock man when he can just kind of overpower him and get him in that paint and shoot it, shoot it right off the glass for a bank shot or something. Mm-hmm. So I would get that, that edge to MJ. Yep, I'm with you on that one. Number two. This is a little bit of, a, of an odd question. I, I don't know if I'm going to get a different answer out of you, but, you know, your time with the Bearcats, obviously, the team you played on was great. Outside of that time frame that you played, if you could have played during any other time period with the Bearcats, which time period would you have liked to have played? Whew. Well, would I be selfish if I'd say uh, the 62, the team that won the <laughs> I'd love to be a champion, hell yeah. <laughs> uh, probably during our era, I would probably say uh, I would have loved to play with, with Kenyon, man. Yeah. I would have I loved to play with Kenyon and also alongside Eric Hicks. Mm-hmm. I, I, I honestly, I love Eric Hicks. And a lot of people probably, I can like, a lot of people just don't understand the basketball intellect and IQ that Eric Hicks had. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that guy was phenomenal, man, when it came to understanding, like, plays and personnel and, and his ability to just read situations. I mean, he was six maybe 6'6", six, six, and led the Big East in block shots because he's always his timing, yep. his ability to finish around the basket. Now, his little 15-foot ugly jump shot would even fall sometimes. <laughs> Dunk but, everything in. Dunk yeah, just, a, just 100% tenacity all the time he played, and he gave you everything he had, man. And, and yep. I, I love I love coaching him and watching him develop that year I was there. Love it, love it. All right, if you could pick any Bearcat during your time, and you had to go to war and battle and have one guy alongside of you, who would that be? And you mean battle as to win a basketball game? Anything. Any battle. <laughs> 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 yeah. Man. Oh, my God. To win. That's a tough question, man, because we've had some killers, man. No doubt. We've had some, we had some killers, man. Like, and I mean, from guards to Nick Van Nex to Steve Logan to, to mm-hmm. big like Kenyon and Eric and Max Hill and Antonio Wingfield. I mean, Danny Fortson. 
That is a tough question for me. I couldn't just say one guy. I really can't. Okay. All right. Now this is this is the last one. This is the million dollar question. Okay. If you could go back in time and win one championship, which championship would you want to have won? Want to have won with the Bearcats, Bulls, or Lakers? You could pick one. Lakers. Ooh, tell me no why. Question. Because I know if I don't want a championship with the Lakers, being from L.A. Yeah. And yeah. having that stamp of approval to know whenever I go home, <laughs> <laughs> I will be considered a champion. Yeah. Hands down, the Lakers, man. Yep. Yep. Now you know what would have been crazy. Like I, I, I hate, I hate to even think like this. I, I try, I try not to ever think like what if, what if. But just imagine if you guys won that Final Four game, won a championship at UC, then you get drafted the Bulls. Mike doesn't retire. You win a championship. Come on, man! I already know where you're going, man. You about to, <laughs> I gotta go have me a crown royal just because you said that, man. You didn't, you didn't. Messed the whole interview up, man. I'm going to have me reminiscing about what a bit of shit of water. Yeah, that would have been, oh, my God. Because you got to think, man, I won two championships in junior college. Yep. Then to come to UC and, and just say in a, in a dream where I won two championships at UC, mm. then get drafted by the Bulls and stay there them three years. Oh, man. Crazy. And Crazy. then staying in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'd have yeah. been a... I'd have been a hell of a uh, what's the quiz show? Uh, Jeopardy. Uh huh. Yeah. Give me a Jeopardy. Club. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but unreal. you know that's that's life, though, man. You, you put it all on the line, and um, you know you hope things happen. It's just like I, I I tell this to to Bearcat fans, and that is, you know, sometimes we can have the best team in the world. But, man, there's so much that's involved in winning a national championship or getting to the Final Four. It's much more than just having great players. There's so much more, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, take the point. That team you have at the Lakers, loaded, didn't win it. I'll even go as far as to say the fact that we played North Carolina during – uh, Dean Smith's final year as a coach mm-hmm. had a lot to do with us not being able to to win, you know, and that's just my personal opinion. I mean, yeah, we took them to overtime and we lost in overtime, but it was a moment in that game that I'll never forget that, of course, Nick was on fire early on, but then they started making calls that to me were – in favor of North Carolina. I watched that game over and over and over again. And I knew, in in my mind, I felt that the refs knew how vital I was to to our team. Yep. I want to thank everybody for listening to our special episode, our interview series of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. And once again, you can follow me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. Also on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. On Snapchat, at BigMeach41. And soon to be on TikTok. I appreciate everybody listening to the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. 
Go Bearcats!